If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing on Newton Road in Bayswater, W2. Four roads west of the lovesick assailant of Barbara Shuttleworth. Two roads north of the old lady killer. Three roads east of the petty revenge of Dominic Kelly. And a short walk from the bones of the spoiled child. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Newton Road is a quiet residential street dotted with a wealth of luxurious homes from the 1800s. All pristine white and sparklingly bright. There's no litter, no dog plop, no kids, no noise, and no dickheads soiling the street with their soulless thump of brain-dead beats. All because they want a bit of attention. Here you can expect their version of Deliveroo, called I'm Famished What What, to airlift a platter of oysters and a bottle of bolly, the road sweeper to wear slippers to keep the noise down, and the nanny to silence the brat with the speed of a ninja. Should the posh sprock dare to interrupt mummy's mid-afternoon snooze, having had a frightfully busy day perusing the pashminas at Love Ashley, don't you know? 23 Newton Road looks as it did in the 1870s, being a semi-detached two-story townhouse with white stucco walls, steps up to the ground floor, and a basement which was once the scullery and the maids' quarters. On Wednesday the 24th of May 1871, a wealthy bachelor called Frederick Moon came here 
to the lavish home of his girlfriend, Hannah Newington, for dinner. They ate fine food. They drank good wine. They listened to music on the piano. And then for reasons no one could fathom, he ended up dead. But who had killed him? His girlfriend? Her lover? Himself? Or was it fate? My name is Michael. I'm your tour guide. This is Murder Mile. Episode 235. The accident, suicide or murder of Freddie Moon. Most deaths are easily explainable. A heart attack, a car accident, choking on food, or falling off a wall. It should all be as self-explanatory as finding a corpse with a knife in his chest. But with Freddy being dead, his girlfriend inconsolable, and the guests and servants haven't seen nothing, this case was not. The victim's name was Frederick Graves Moon, and he was born in 1829. Raised in pomp and privilege, as the younger son to Sir Francis Graham Moon, first baronet, alderman, and former Lord Mayor of London, he lived a lavish life of extreme wealth, with high expectations that he would match his father's prestige, titles, and success. By 1871, 41-year-old Freddie had become part owner of Moon Cock & Co Brewery in Leicester, one of the premier beer and porter manufacturers in Britain, serving millions of gallons of giddy-making grog to pubs all over the country and raking in a whopping £3,000 a year, roughly £3.3 million today. Given his financial success, his father should have been proud. But Freddie wasn't a business brain, nor a leader of men. Those who knew Freddie said, he loved the idle life, being a man of easy amusements, with which he could fritter away his spare time, engage in frivolity, and squander his profits on bachelor's pleasures. As a huge fan of horse racing, Freddy was well accustomed to blowing a wad at the racetrack. Having got wind that a GG called the Phillies Fancy was a dead cert, only to lose a small fortune on a nag which was destined for the glue factory. He liked fine wines and rich foods, which burdened his stout and rotund frame with bouts of gout, attacks of bilious and the odd burp of a rich man's wind having overindulged. But most of all, he loved beautiful women. And although he was often seen, strutting about in Mayfair, with a rather sparkling little lady, perched upon his arm like a budgie pecking at seeds, he never married. And although the love of a good woman 
was never far from his mind. What made his life even more difficult was his love of unattainable women. Hannah Newington went by many names and aliases, such as Flora Newington, Flora Canning, Francis S. Canning, and Madame de Morne, which suggested a loftier upbringing as a woman who married well. In truth, she was born humbly as Hannah Fowler, a girl who came from nothing and was destined to live a life of drudgery with too many kids on a small wage, a drunken lout as a wayward husband, and the twilight years of her early forties, spent alone and picking oakum as a workhouse inmate. But unlike so many, for whom that would be their life, on her side she had her looks, and she used them wisely. In 1856, Age 22, Hannah married a wealthy and successful solicitor called William Newington. But they were not happy, not by a long stretch. And with him described as a solicitor of good standing, with him fleeing, for reasons unknown, to the distant shores of Australia after just three years of marriage, he would be gone, and she would be branded with a scandalous title of an abandoned wife. So without his permission to divorce, she could never remarry, making any relationship sinful. As a single woman, with no career, and a daughter to support, Hannah did whatever she could to survive, in an era where a woman had even less rights than cattle, and an unmarried divorcee was akin to the devil. Little is known about her criminal history, but it was said that Hannah was a professional con woman, who used her beauty to lure in some of London's wealthiest men, who lived the high life in the city's most opulent hotels, and who dined off their fortunes by pretending to be their wife. Leaving a trail of debt across Mayfair, having left without paying, and obtaining goods by misrepresentation. In 1867, she was convicted of fraud, having left six creditors owing £2,300, which today is just over £2.4 After a short stint in prison, as some of her suitors had taken pity on her, in 1871, Hannah became the paramour of Captain Davy, a retired army officer described as a strange man with a big black beard. Quite what their relationship was is uncertain. To some, she was his girlfriend. To society, She was little more than a concubine or a high-class prostitute. But to her, although they never married, she went by the title of Mrs. Davy. That year, either as a symbol of his love 
or as a place where he could keep an eye on her. Captain Davy rented her, a three-floored townhouse at 23 Newton Road, in the fashionable suburb of Bayswater. It's uncertain whether she ever loved Captain Davy, but unable to remarry, and with her beauty fading, this one's young, attractive girl, who was tall and elegant, had morphed into a man-sized and slightly stout 38-year-old woman of questionable morals and character. Foam time was running out. She drank to quell her fears. She ate to comfort her loneliness. And as a nervous and unpredictable woman with a severe alcohol problem, her doctor had advised her to dry out by going to a German resort. But instead, she stayed home and she drank. Hannah was a drunk. Freddie was depressed. And together, that mix would be lethal. In his final year alive, Freddie was plagued by a wealth of stresses. As a 41-year-old man, his father had pestered him to marry, as most of his siblings already had. But Freddie had no one but Hannah, an abandoned wife, a suspected prostitute, and a career criminal who was woefully unsuitable for a baronet's son. Eighteen months prior, his beloved mother Anne had died, and his grief had left him in an emotional funk. In the months prior, his relationship with Hannah had become even more fractious, with her shouting, I am your wife, Freddy, only for him to retort, no, you are not, and you never will be as long as I live. And although Freddy's friend, Captain Bose Elliot, had suggested that Freddy use his wealth to get rid of her, spoken more out of drunken spite than genuine hate, over a lunch, Hannah was heard to spit, by heavens, I'll have your life. And at a dinner, she supposedly said, by Jove, I'll stab you one day. Wednesday the 24th of May 1871 was Freddy's last day alive. Being supposedly sunk in the depths of depression, some have suggested this was down to his losses at Derby Day. And although he was described as very gloomy, he only lost £10, £1,400 today. Whereas at the time of his death, he still had £1,300 in his bank account, the equivalent of £1.8 It could have been that Hannah had failed to keep a lunch date with him. And although she had stood him up many times before, there was a much weightier problem which was bearing down on his brain. In May 1871, the British government had proposed the introduction of the 1872 Licensing Bill. Having been largely unregulated, Parliament was shaping new laws on alcohol. Soon, 
it would be an offence to be drunk in public, to be drunk in charge of a horse, or to be drunk in possession of a loaded firearm. All of which affected the people, but there were new laws which affected his business as a brewery. In a few months' time, brewers could no longer add salt to the beer, which they did to make the drinker even more thirsty. All pubs were legally obliged to close at 11pm, and the licensing hours were to be decided by the local authority, with each borough having the right to become dry, also known as alcohol-free. As expected, the law almost caused riots among the people and the breweries themselves. And with Freddy terrified that his business would struggle to survive, this could mean the end of his brewery. It was a turbulent time for Freddy Graves' moon. And although his mental disposition was questioned in court, with his highly paid solicitor objecting to the question, his mental state remains unknown. The night itself was peaceful. The street was quiet. And being a well-to-do suburb, it was routinely patrolled by PC Row from late afternoon until around the time that the body was found. When he first passed, he noted all was calm. Adele Matthews, parlour-maid to Mrs. Davy, as Hannah Newington was known, heard the doorbell being rang at 5pm. As was her role, she answered the door. She curtsied to Mr. Moon and showed this sour-faced gentleman in as his housemaid, Mary Ann Hale, scurried downstairs to the servants' quarters. Adelaide said, He was in the habit of coming to the house, and he used to dine there. I let him in. At that time, Mrs. Davy was in the billiard room. As was protocol, I showed him into the dining room, where he would wait until the lady was ready to greet him. But instead, he went straight in. He wasn't upset, angry or anxious. As those who saw him recalled, it was as if he'd got the weight of the world on his shoulders. By Mrs. Davy's order, I took a bottle of champagne into the billiard room, and between them, they sank a bottle of finest Bollinger. Not out of celebration, but because that's what wealthy people do. According to the staff, before dinner, Mr. Moon walked around the garden, he was alone, and being a man of wealth and privilege, it was not the place of the servants to ask if he was okay, so they didn't. At 7.30pm, they dined. Served by Hannah's parlour maid, they ate soup, chicken, vegetables, an array of fresh bread, a fine selection of champagne, brandy and claret, 
with a sherry in an ornate cut glass decanter, complete with hand-rolled cigars, cheeses and water biscuits. But they had no fruit or dessert. That said, with Hannah not expecting Freddy that night, the dinner itself was intended for her friends, Laura Pock and Catherine Bulin. But seeing his mood, to cheer him up, she accommodated him. From what was overheard, Freddy was in a gloomy mood as he feared his brewery business was about to collapse. He had lost £10 back in the wrong horse and he was perturbed that Hannah had an eye for other men. Which for anyone else, whether inside of that room or out, that shouldn't have been a surprise. At half past eight, as Hannah and Freddy sat at the dining room table supping brandies, Adelaide cleared away the dishes, and from the table, she removed a small wicker basket of six bread knives to the sideboard. At around the same time, Laura Pock and Catherine Bulin, Hannah's house guests, arrived after a hard day of horse riding and taking a long lunch and a steady brunch. Olives were served, a bottle of claret was opened, and Laura and Catherine entertained them both with music on the guitar and the piano. Passing by on his beat, at roughly 9pm, PC Rowe said that the noise emanating from the house was a little more raucous. And although society said this seemingly respectable house was a brothel, as a working-class constable, it wasn't his position to inquire about the private habits of the upper classes. This may have been just a scandalous aspersion, but wherever Hannah went, her reputation followed. According to Adelaide, who had known Hannah and Freddie for 16 months, Mrs. Davy and Mr. Moon appeared to be on affectionate terms. She called him Fred, and he called her Flo. Although she never questioned why this supposed wife of an army captain cavorted with an incorrigible bachelor. But whatever was going on between them that night, the air was tinged with jealousy. At 9.30pm, Dr. Phillips arrived. As the personal physician to Mrs. Davy, he'd been seeing her on what he described as a purely professional basis for the last six months, with the last six weeks seeing her bedbound, as owing to severe alcohol problems, he had failed to get her to dry out. When Dr. Phillips was shown into the drawing room, Adelaide recalled, I thought that by her eyes, Mrs. Davy had been crying. The doctor only stayed briefly, with Freddy not uttering a word to him, and then he left. But was Freddy ambivalent, distracted, 
or jealous. Fueled by champagne and liquor, it was said that Freddie was feeling perkier. And with the young girls joining them for some after-dinner fun, Catherine played the piano as Laura romped on the floor, catching a decanter of Chevy which Freddie threw into her lap. As drunken antics go, that may seem innocent enough. But four months before, Freddie had done the same and the decanter had smashed. At that time, he'd apologised. Only this time, before he could, Hannah had sent the young girls away and the jubilant mood in the dining room was sullied, leaving a cold silence hanging like a dull cloud. But was Hannah drunk, angry, or upset? At 11.30pm, on his beat, PZ rode past 23 Newton Road and noticed nothing unusual. I saw people going in and out, and I saw Mary Ann Hale, Mr. Moon's housemaid, enter with a letter in her hand. It was never explained what that letter was, and with it not being a job, Mary Ann never read it. But at the trial, William Pickford, Freddie's friend, stated, Mrs. Davy was jealous of him. As having put his arms around Catherine Bulin, he was not allowed to be left alone with her. And a letter read out in court suggested that Freddie enjoyed the favours of Catherine, who he knew as dear little Kitty. According to the staff who were one floor below, and Laura and Catherine who were one floor above, at the time of the incident, they didn't hear any shouts or scuffles. Hannah and Freddie were alone, and the knife basket had been moved to the table, possibly by Dr. Phillips, who had helped himself to a little snack. Marianne Hale recalled, I was in the kitchen, immediately below the dining room. The first thing that attracted my attention was a fall. And then I heard a scream. Hannah rang the servant's bell and shouted, Go for a doctor, which Adelaide did. And as Marianne went upstairs, I saw Mr. Moon on the floor. Mrs. Davy was kneeling by his side, trying to undo his clothes, and saying she was trying to save him. A kitchen knife, missing from the breadbasket, was protruding from the left-hand side of his chest, just below his heart. With a steady pool of blood forming about his body, and a slowly decreasing pulse of red spurting from his once white shirt. It was clear that Freddy's life was ebbing away, second by second. With Hannah in a distressed state, the servants recalled, 
she did everything to save him. But as she sat crying and cradling his body, knowing he was dead, Catherine Bulin heard her blubber. I fear I did it. It was as near to a confession as anyone would get. At 12.15am, alerted to the scene, PC Rowe, PC Futrol and Dr. Phillips entered 23 Newton Road. PC Rowe would state, I saw the deceased lying dead near the fireplace. In the drawing room, I saw Mrs. Davy sitting on the sofa. She was pulling off her jacket, and although the inside of the lining was white, it was saturated with blood. With a partially clean knife, having been removed from Freddy's motionless chest, and later found lying in the fire tender close to the body, the constable promptly arrested Hannah Newington, alias Mrs. Davy, with a customary, consider yourself in custody. And she was later charged with his murder. With no witnesses to the incident itself, the police and the jury had to rely on the testimony of several medical experts who gave their opinion based on their expertise and knowledge. William Baker, a surgeon at St. Bartholomew's Hospital would state, The wound was downwards, forwards and inwards. The weapon took one uniform direction. And although he would state, It was not possible that the weapon might have been as a result of an accident. Although he would admit he had no special experience in the cases of stabbing, he concluded the wound was caused by another person. Dr. Phillips, Hannah's physician, said the wound was six inches deep and it was not possible that it was caused by him falling on the knife, which Dr. Royston also confirmed as highly improbable. But with Dr. Kenton, surgeon at Charing Cross Hospital and a lecturer in anatomy stating, it was most probable that the wound was accidental, Mr. Walton, a surgeon at St. Mary's, agreeing it might have been an accident or possibly self-inflicted. And Mr. Gay, chief surgeon at the Great Northern Hospital, concluding the wound was more explainable as an accident than as a result of a deliberate stab. With the jury left in a state of confusion, and with fingerprints not accepted as evidence in the British legal system until 1901. They were stuck in a quandary. Was it an accident, a suicide, or a murder? Tried at the Old Bailey on the 13th of July, 1871. In a two-day trial, Hannah Newington, alias Flora Davy, pleaded not guilty to the charge of murder. With Mr. Lewis agreeing with her defence that the wounds may have been inflicted by Freddy in a state of abject depression. 
as a married but abandoned woman who was kept by Captain Davy and was merely the mistress of Freddy Moon. As she wouldn't have financially benefited from his death, the prosecution reduced the charge to one of manslaughter, which meant if found guilty, she would not be executed. With Dr. Parry wrapping up the defense, stating, The prisoner and the deceased loved each other dearly. Mr. Moon was depressed, and whatever occurred was done in a moment of fear. Having deliberated for half an hour, at 4 p.m., the jury returned with a verdict of guilty of manslaughter. The judge concluded, she took up the knife, perhaps not anticipating the awful consequences, but she armed herself in order to meet the encounter of the deceased. Taking into account that it was not premeditated, she was sentenced to eight years in prison, and having fainted, she had to be carried from the dock. In her defense, Hannah stated, Freddy insulted me. When I asked him not to repeat those words, he flung a bottle at my head. I leapt up with a knife. He seized me, and we both fell down. And that, according to her, was how it happened. Sent to Woking Prison, Hannah spent the first two years in the prison infirmary owing to exhaustion. Having a relapse, as she'd learned that her only daughter had died. Hannah Newington was released on the 15th of September 1874, and she died in early 1913. As for Freddie Moon, owing to the scandal of his death, his name was removed from the prestigious Burke's Peerage, as well as from the brewery he had once owned. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
There we go, folks. There we go. How was that? Oh, it's a little bit quicker than usual. That's better. That's nice. That means it, um, that means it'll be a nicer edit as opposed to a horrible edit. Oh, oh, what's happened? It was nice outside a little while ago. It was nice. There was some. There was some blue skies. It was lovely. It was all peaceful. Oh, there was very few aircraft flying over. There was no kids going past because the kids had gone back to school, which is a blessing for everyone, isn't it? An absolute blessing. Ah, and I was looking forward to my little walk, but now it looks looks like it's gone a little bit gloomy. A little bit gloomy. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm gonna make a herbal tea. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make me a herbal tea. A herbal tea make me what type is it it's a red berry fruit blend red berry fruit blend well there we go does life get any more exciting than that no i don't think it does oh it's it's very damp out at the moment it's that it's for me it's not cold enough to put the fire on so inside it's a little bit damp maybe i might put on a little fire tonight got my hot water bottles out sitting here with my um my woolly hat on and my albert steptoe gloves to keep my fingers warm but that's it. That's how exciting my life is. Cool, Michael, your life is amazing. Whoa. I wish my life was exciting as yours. Yeah, I know. What are you doing next? I'm going to the coffee shop to, to start the edit on this. Oh, wow. Cool, lummy. Am I going to have a cake today? Probably not. I'm still I'm still trying to stick to my diet. Still trying to be a good boy. Eating my, my rice cakes, which are just low-calorie having carrots but then again christmas is coming around the corner so um i tried to get myself in a good routine of not picking out because otherwise i'm just gonna I'm just gonna binge over christmas and i'm just gonna become i'm just gonna go back to being that fat wobbly thing that eva pokes everything which is not no bad thing it's no bad thing being eva's personal poking thing but um i'm trying to be good I think three, a couple of Christmases ago, I treated myself to an infamous selection of beers, which were in my um, my bow. And people used to come around and have a look at all my beers because I'd stockpiled them for ages. There was like 200 really, really lovely beers in there. And I just, I just not really much of a drink. <laughs> it was a bit stupid. So uh, I ended up drinking them slowly over the next couple of months. And then the next year I bought 50 beers and I was still drinking them in January. So this year I'm going to treat myself to five or six nice beers a good meal something nice uh gonna do my usual thing i'm gonna i always spend christmas by myself i i i like doing solo christmas you know it's nice to go and visit people but at the same time i like my own space so i'm, I'm visiting friends and family around christmas christmas day probably boxing day well boxing day i might be out at the pub christmas eve i'll be down the pub uh, 28th i'm going up to see rich hello rich uh, I'll, I'll be coming up to see you uh, that'll be good fun then i'm gonna go and see my brother and his family go and go see them and then new year's eve hooray i, I go to bed early because i hate new year's eve hate new year's eve i just think it's, it's it's hooray hooray we're staying up until midnight whoa wow it's it's boring as shit I would. I always go out. I I get myself a nice steak. I don't normally eat meat, but I do that day. I get some green beans, some Dauphinoise potatoes, a nice pudding. I get some. I get all the good beers. So I get Duval. I get Chimay. I get um, 
Lefe, but the Ruby version. I get all the beers I wouldn't normally buy, which are all the quality stuff and some really, really fine chocolates. And then I sit and I watch Shawshank Redemption and then I watch uh, Casablanca. Uh, and then I might watch another film. And then at 10 o'clock, I go to bed with my earplugs in and I say, fuck you to the world. Uh, and then in the morning, I wake up, New Year's Day, when everyone's grumbling around groggy, going, oh, my head, my head hurts. Oh, why do I drink so much? And they have a horrible day. I'm up early uh, having a walk around and I feel great. And that's how you start a new year, by feeling great, not by feeling shit. So, uh, what's that noise? Oh, it sounds like a heli- big helicopter coming over. Fuck it. Fuck it. Fuck that fucking helicopter. Shitty, shitty heli- helicopter. Anyway, that's Christmas coming up. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to visiting chums and having some drinks and shit. How's my tea doing? I'm going to grab my tea. I don't want it too hot, do I? Don't want it too hot, otherwise it will. Uh, I won't drink it, which is always what happens. Like I make a tea, I make a tea here, and uh, then we do this bit of extra mile. Oh, I forgot to say, welcome to extra mile, the unscripted, unedited bit. We do some quiz bits in a bit, and then we fill in some blanks uh, on the um, um, the episode that you've just heard, uh, and then uh, and then I piss off. Um, I can't remember where I was going to. So, um, oh, look, the sun's starting to come out again. This is great. That'll be good. That'll be helping my solar panels and uh, charging up my batteries. Uh, just before I started this record, a guy went past in his boat heading uh, south, speeding past too fast. Uh, and I went to shout at him, and I realised he looked like Harold Shipman, the serial killer. So uh, if you're a London boater, and uh, you're currently... Uh, I'm not going to say where I am in London, but if you see a guy on a boat... Um, who looks almost exactly like Harold Shipman. Tell him to slow the fuck down. Uh, anyway, let's do some quiz questions. Uh, I've limited it to eight because I realise sometimes sometimes there's too many questions, but sometimes it kind of ruins the, the, the extra bit afterwards. So, um, quiz questions. I haven't edited this episode yet, so... Um, uh, so I made balls up some of these questions, but here's, here goes. Let's see how it goes. Okay. Question number one. What was Freddy's middle name? Question number two. What was the name of Freddy's brewery? Question number three. Name one of Hannah's alias... Oh, sorry, I burped halfway through that question. Someone is... Are you... Someone's coming past. Are they... They are going too fast. A boat called Lucy and they're not paying attention. And they look like they're about to crash into my boat. But I don't know whether they are. I'm keeping an eye on them. Oblivious to the world. Uh, question number three. What was one of... Oh, sorry, the boat just banged against the side. Uh, question number three. What was... Uh, name one of Hannah's aliases. So she had one, two, three, four aliases. Name one of them. Question number five. What was Hannah Newington's birth name? Question number six. Where did Hannah's husband disappear to? Question number seven, how much debt had Hannah left her creditors in? Oh, sorry, that was question six. Question seven, uh, how much had Freddie lost on Derby Day? And question number eight, question question number eight? Yeah, question number eight, what law was due to cripple Freddie's business? Right. So uh, let's dive in. Let's dive into some extra details on it. It's it, this is kind of a hard one here. The, 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 um, this is one of those cases where you 
you, you've kind of got to be a bit dubious about the, the information that's provided in that era at the time because what we're really dealing with here is is a crime but at the, at the same time it's kind of there's a real hierarchy between a kind of upper class and lower class you've got um so obviously working class people's uh details are not being taken as seriously as someone who's more upper class uh, obviously uh we're dealing with people who've got money and prestige so they cannot pay for high class lawyers um also we're in an era where you know if, if a woman's married that's fine but if she's not married or if she's divorced core cool, blimey big scandal what what so uh, because because Hannah lives in a house which is funded by her her sugar daddy or the the man who keeps her uh, captain uh, Davy and she pretends to be his wife she's she says that she's captain Davy's wife but she's not really his wife because she's married to someone else who's buggered off um it's uncertain it it's see it's regarded it's it's alleged that this is this is the quote a seemingly respectable house but inside was a brothel for the upper classes um now we don't know that originally when i started looking at this i thought oh okay it's a story about a brothel but the more you look into it there is no evidence that this is a brothel at all it could just be that this is a, a single woman and you know she likes the attention of men it doesn't mean it's a, a, a brothel also with her uh catherine and uh laura who are her friends her, her friends tend to stay there as well because obviously it's it's a six bedroomed house, a six roomed house. So do you know she's got space to have her friends in. So she's probably lonely a lot. She probably wants her friends to come over. But because there's now technically three single women in that in that house, therefore people start regarding it as a brothel because men turn up. But you know, is it a brothel? Is it not brothel? We don't know. Obviously, we've got the evidence here of uh, Adelaide Matthews, who was the parlour maid to Mrs. Davy, and Mary Ann Hale, who was the housemaid in service of Mr. Moon. So he turned up because he's a posh. This is what posh people do, isn't it? It's like they have housemaids and nannies and all that shit. And then if you're going round um, your, your mate's house, you, you bring your parlour maid with you. Oh, utter turds, aren't they? Um, probably half of the politicians we've got to have that as well because they've got no no connection to reality no connection to the real world and real people and yet we vote for these assholes anyway let's not get polit political on this one uh so um because these are working class women obviously their statements aren't going to believe be believed that much also they're not really going to turn around and go yes my employer did this my employer did that they're going to be quite honorable towards their employers because they're going to want uh, more work or they want a good reference afterwards or they know they won't be believed so this is what makes this story really really hard to kind of work out what happened because you've got you've got freddie who's dead then you've got hannah who's kind of in a in a state but also she could potentially be his murderer uh you've got captain phillips who may potentially be a lover of hannah's but also may just be her doctor but uh freddie also there's a twinge of an idea in there that freddie was potentially jealous of dr phillips but we don't know whether there's a relationship going on you've got uh captain davy who is the owner of the house who is the person who inverted commas is the keeper of hannah uh, because she's a kept woman um so we don't know whether he knows about freddie or not we don't know whether freddie knows about captain uh davy it's i think it's more li likely that he does which is why it's kind of a, a real really weird story that if he is jealous he's jealous of her seeing other women but 
he's like she's seeing someone else she's seen captain david but she's also married to someone else as well and it's also likely that she probably is seeing someone else as well so it's a it's it's a real cluster cluster f isn't it um but what seems to have happened is it seems to be a very ordinary day she seems to have uh, been wanted to have dinner with her friends and laura and Catherine. they were invited over after they'd been uh horse riding um she'd prepped a meal for the three of them but obviously because uh freddie was kind of in a weird a, a gloomy mood is is how everyone describes it throughout that she, that she seems to have done uh, the good thing, he was clearly dispirited, low-spirited, and she was like, do you know what, I'm going to treat you to dinner. Uh, the girls can have something l- later on. I'm sure the parlour maids have probably prepared something for the girls as well. There's probably enough, like, sandwiches or some shit like that. Who knows? Um, so it seems like an ordinary moment, but we don't really know what's going on in Freddie's mind. I think that's part of the big problem, is that it was questioned in court that they did say we were... They'd already quizzed a lot about Hannah, about her, her upbringing and her background and her criminal record and her mood that night and the fact that she was an alcoholic and the, the fact that she was struggling to dry out. That was all covered. But because Freddie Moon, because he's, you know, a son of a baronet and son of an alderman, son of the former Lord Mayor of London, that is a man of real privilege there. So because he's got a lot of money and power, therefore he he's able to, even though he's dead, his family have hired like a, a selection of shitbag lawyers with lots of money who are able to just say, no, 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 we're not going to have that. And even though this is, I think this is kind of absolutely key for this case, is to work out what Freddie's mood was that night. We can only have, we have kind of moments of conjecture in there when it's kind of assumed of what it could be but we don't know the truth we don't know what's going on in his mind so i have kind of put everything that i know about his mood at that moment you know the kind of the the death of his mother and possible collapse of his business and and uh any kind of jealousy that's going on there but we'll never know we'll never know really what was going on in his mind that night it could have been all of it could have been none of it could have been something else um so uh, uh adelaide matthews the parlor maid she said she'd been there about 16 months uh she knew hannah as mrs davy she said i knew the deceased he was in the habit of coming to the house and he used to dine there and wednesday the 24th of may he came to 23 newton road at about five o'clock i let him in at that time mrs davy was in the billiard room i showed him into the dining room and he went straight into the billiard room by Mrs. Davies' order, I took in a bottle of champagne to the billiard room. And before dinner, Mr. Moon walked around the garden. Um, we don't know why he did that. He was alone. We don't know why he he wanted time by himself. We don't know what's going on in his head at all. Um, so, so through this, it was it's a bit of a messy case. So I was able to piece together everything I could about who saw what at what time. What makes it even more difficult is that everything, everybody's timings are entirely shot, shot to pieces. So, um, I think the, one of the real problems is that we're back in an era where people don't have watches. Um, so the, there's no real sense of time also quite a few people in the story have been drinking so it's hard to really pin things down uh, we know when certain people turn up and we know when various guests arrive because we're able to get uh coot having a little bit of a moment outside we're able to work out where people are at what point at what time they arrive at the house but everything after that goes a bit crazy so um 
The servants downstairs don't have ta- uh, watches, obviously. Um, they're reliant on the timings of the the their employers and when their employers want food. That's kind of all that's important. They're not really looking at their watch going, oh, I need to, when's Emmerdale on? Do you know, that's not in their mind because obviously this is years before Emmerdale even existed. But they're all about serving. So it's about when when their employers want to be served and that's when they do it everything else when they're going to go home is entirely irrelevant because they go home when their employers are done and that's it um but everything else goes a bit messy so after kind of nine thirty onwards it goes a bit messy i've kind of put the date uh, so the time of the stabbing around at around midnight uh, only because we we know the timings based on uh pc charles row he was doing his uh patrol outside on newton road not not just newton road but he was basically walking around bayswater and he'd do a circuit so he'd go past his house every hour hour and a half something like that so we know he went past around six around eight around ten around eleven he was past there about half past eleven um and he was back around there about 12 o'clock, so midnight. Uh, and he entered the building at 12.15 a.m. So he he wasn't alerted to anything prior to that. But the staff who were there said this happened around 10 p.m. Which I, just doesn't make any sense at all. It, it's hard to work out who's right. I, I'm kind of going by what the, what the police said because that kind of makes sense. If not, then Freddie was murdered around 10 o'clock. If, if everyone is correct who's in the house... And then they waited for two hours, which doesn't make any sense at all. Um, apparently, when the doctor turned up, that was Doctor Phillips. He turned up. Freddie was, um, Freddie was, had pretty much died, but he was still warm. So I, I think it's more likely that the murder happened just before. Um, doesn't seem to be premedicated. Premedicated. Jesus Christ. Doesn't seem to be premedicated, as you can kind of see. It's not like um, it is. Th- likely according to what everyone said that hannah was the one holding the knife i think i think it's unlikely this is just my theory i think it's unlikely that freddie stabbed himself in the in the heart although quite an emotional person quite upset that she may have been cheating on him it could have happened it could easily have happened um we don't know about the fingerprints because as mentioned in the episode they weren't looking for fingerprints fingerprints weren't something that was used in criminal trials in the 1870s it wasn't used in courts until in british courts until 1901 so we really we don't have that evidence we can't turn around and go oh whose fingerprints is on the knife because we don't know we don't know because they weren't looking for it it's not something they look for so that has to be entirely discounted um we didn't see no one seems to have seen hannah holding the knife and no one seems to have seen freddie holding the knife either so that has to be discounted as well so we don't know who was holding the knife so it could have been that freddie stabbed himself in the heart maybe he was upset at and jealous at hannah potentially uh being in a relationship with dr phillips we don't know uh maybe uh it was maybe he was angry at uh, as mentioned earlier on in the episode that she wanted to marry him but she couldn't marry him because she was married to someone else and he said i will never marry you and obviously his father's having to go at him saying when are you going to marry someone you're 41 years old for fuck's sake um so we don't know maybe that was it maybe it was an accident as hannah said you know um he had thrown a bottle at her previously a little while ago a decanter um she said that night um he threw a bottle at her what's missing from the police investigation is any reference to a a smashed bottle on the floor 
So if he had thrown a bottle at her, you'd expect to find a bottle on the floor. But A, it may not have been registered by the police, or B, because the housemaids were there, being diligent, they may have cleaned it up. And it, and it may not have been flagged up to the police, oh, we've cleaned this away. Do you know, it's... It, when you look at... Th- we haven't got the police files on this. All we've got is uh, what was reported in the press and what was uh, reported at the Old Bailey. And the Old Bailey uh, documentation, is it's it's quite slight in places, so there's big chunks missing. There's pieces that I would love to know, but they're just not there. Do you know there's little details like here? Half of the bottle of champagne was left. Uh, very little of it was drunk. Great, brilliant. So that kind of determines that half of the bottle was was not drunk but we know that hannah was quite drunk and we know that freddie was quite drunk as well we know that the the two girls were quite drunk as well we know that it wasn't premeditated because the the knife came from a knife basket which had been placed on the table by adelaide the parlor maid and when the meal was finished she'd put uh those knives which she'd cleaned back on the sideboard so they were out of the way but at some point they arrived back on the table we don't know who had put it there but it's likely it is said that it, it could have been dr phillips treating himself to you know, a little bit of bread while he was coming around to look at to look at hannah um let's have a look what else we got noisy noisy aircraft going past see i don't mind it now i'm all right see look i'm all right with that I'm all right with that. I'm all right with that because we're because we're on extra mile. I'm not going to edit it out. I don't mind. There could be there could be a child going past now, and I'd be like, "Oh, look at that! A lovely child. Ah, oh, brilliant. Yeah. Oh, isn't it angelic? I wouldn't say that, but I just I just wouldn't wouldn't be as annoyed as if I was recording, and then I'd have to edit it out afterwards because of a bloody child, bloody annoying child. Ugh. <laughs> oh they're lovely they really are no they're not no they're not they're really not lovely um what else we got let's have a look uh the letter read out in court we don't the letter read out there there was a letter read out in court we don't know what that letter was this is the 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 thing about this that the transcript papers it's not really a transcript it's just it's it's like a really shitty overview to be honest so they keep they reference the letter or a letter but we don't know what the letter is it's likely that it is the letter which was uh which stated that fred Freddie enjoyed favours inverted commas of Catherine Bulin and that he knew her as dear little kitty which doesn't suggest they're having an affair it could, could just be that they're just really good friends we don't know we don't know at all as, as mentioned in here it's suggestion um uh as for the fight itself uh Hannah said uh they had had a quarrel but it was only a few words so not a fight uh, no one heard them arguing there was the sound of a fall but no one could kind of pinpoint exactly what it was uh hannah was the one who screamed and then the servants entered from downstairs and the guests entered from upstairs uh and then they found obviously freddie on the floor with a large carving knife they say carving knife it's also a bread knife protruding from his chest uh it's kind of the left hand side of the chest chest in and around the heart um so that's what makes it really difficult no one really knows what's going on uh when they came in pc futural said he saw the deceased lying on the floor near the fire fireplace there was a table with several bottles on it uh, on the floor close to the body was a bowl of water a bowl of bloody water we d- could have been that she was 
so that's the thing it looks it looks like at some point she'd retracted the knife which as we know is the worst thing he could ever do and then was probably damping down or, or wiping away the blood which kind of did no no use because you know blood is spurting from his heart is he's going to be dead short shortly enough anyway i mean he was never going to survive that um when he went into the the drawing room uh hannah was pulling off her jacket the inside was light in the inside was lined with white and was saturated with blood the upper part of her clothing was covered in blood and her hair was disarranged um so obviously at that point she's instantly um arrested and charged with murder but it could have just been that you know he stabbed himself she went over to protect him she pulled out the knife to 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 help him uh blood is pouring over her could conceivably be done that it was said that the knife was found in the the fender of the fire uh, so not in the fire but kind of in in the area within the fire and uh it was part partially cleaned but as we as we've seen in cases before when you retract a knife from a body and the body is wearing clothes or sometimes layers of clothes the knife is going to be partially cleaned depending on where the fibers are so you know you could say it's partially cleaned or you could say as she retracted the blade it partially cleaned itself so we don't know we really don't know what someone going past well we'll be looking uh, we'll be uh looking up uh, uh, i love that hearing flashes of people's conversation i've no idea what that is no idea um so yeah um so yeah we we don't know whether she cleaned the knife i think it's i think it's un- unlikely i think she retracted the blade and then put it down somewhere and it partially cleaned itself um but as we saw with the autopsy we have to be honest about this there there is no real autopsy back in the 1870s there was no such thing as an autopsy even though we make reference to autopsies in like things like jack the ripper autopsies really didn't exist until kind of the 1910s there was kind of a 1910s there was a kind of cursory examination of the body but if you go back to the uh sabernus spilsbury episode even in the 1920s people are regarding um pathology as the beastly science do you know it's not highly regarded it's not kind of like today where people are like oh this is a, a world-renowned pathologist it's kind of what you would do was get a doctor and you'd if you had to you get a doctor to look at the body but they weren't really they were focused on solving diseases and saving lives once someone was dead they really didn't give a flying fuck about what happened to them they didn't give a shit so so this this was the medical kind of idea at the time why should we really give a crap about how someone died do you know we our job is to kind of save people and to 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 solve diseases and things like that which is why kind of the body is looked at and you can kind of see how important this is the other thing that annoys me about the case you can see how important freddie moon is by the amount of high profile doctors who are examining uh the body uh, in to work out how he died if it was a regular person like us you, you get like one hired pathologist who's hired by the government at, at the taxpayer's expense you wouldn't get all of these people but because he's so rich and wealthy you do get that so uh as we can see there's some very preeminent eminent people here but they can't make a decision about whether this was a suicide or a murder or an accident there's kind of an it's an evenly split across the board which i think makes it kind of interesting because um for the trial itself 
Hannah is charged with his manslaughter, but manslaughter suggests that there's it's kind of the weight is more on her saying well it well she's responsible for this she was holding the knife therefore uh, she killed him she didn't murder him but she killed him but if it if this is true of what she was saying that he was screaming at he was shouting at her he threw a bottle at her she was in fear for her life um we're, we're not too sure whether she picked up the blade or he picked up the blade or he was trying to stab himself or she grabbed the blade off him or she picked up the blade to defend herself there's a lot of confusion over that we really don't know whether what really happened but what they've done here is they've kind of said well do you know he's the son of a baronet he's rich and wealthy he's got lots of great lawyers so therefore we'll we'll put i i I don't know. I think part of it is that she probably did. She would probably pull the knife. She was probably upset. She's drunk. She's angry. Uh, I think they fought. I think they probably did fall on the floor because you've heard from the witness statements from, um, I think it was Adelaide and actually Marianne as well, who, who were downstairs and they said, first they heard a thud, then they heard a scream. If they didn't hear a thud, like what what was the thud? what was the third it could have been a body going thump on the floor it could have been a, or it could have been someone stamping or but a thud definitely feels like a, a body falling on the floor so i think there's something close to what hannah said was right but should she really have been charged with his manslaughter i don't think so i think i mean they've already said with this they agreed with at the trial that there was not enough evidence uh in terms of motive do you know that she she doesn't gain anything from this in fact she loses because he actually funded her quite a lot so even though she lived in a nice house that was funded by a uh, captain davy freddie was actually giving her uh, decent amounts of money money on it over time so actually she lost out quite a lot from this so it doesn't make sense that she would want to kill him uh, although she could have been incredibly jealous and angry and drunk and so this is going to be one of those ones where i I don't think we can really come to a conclusion on this. Um, I think it's going to be up to you. Uh, the, the law has kind of made its decision here. I think it's going to be entirely up to you what you think actually happened. But, um, but I think that is it. I think that is it. So let's do the quiz questions and then I'm going to toddle off um, to the um, to the coffee shop. So question number one. What was Freddie's middle name? It was Graves, Frederick Graves Moon. What a lovely mate, lovely name. Uh, question number two: What was the name of Freddie's brewery? It was Moon Cock and Co. <laughs> Moon Cock and Co. Wonderful. Question number three: uh, What was one of Hannah's aliases? Well, she had four. You could have gone with Flora Newington, Flora Canning. Francis S. Canning and Madame Morn. Sorry, Madame de Morn. Um, question number four. What was Hannah's birth name? It was Hannah Fowler. Question number five. Where did Hannah's husband disappear to? He went to Australia. Nah, ye. That's what he would have spent the rest of his life doing, going, nah, ye. 
Uh, question number six. So I, I, <laughs> a mate who's lived in Australia for about 10 years and he came back recently and I was like, oh, I hope... I hope he's got a really thick Australian accent, and he doesn't. He, his accent's still the same. And I was, I was listening out. I was like, I'm going to hear it. There's about to be Australian isms that you've picked up. And he, and he was like, oh, I haven't got any Australian isms. Nah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, he, he realised he started, he kept saying nah, yeah, a lot. <laughs> uh, question number six How much debt had Hannah left her creditors in? It was £2,300, which is just over £2.4 million today. Bloody hell. Question number seven, how much had Freddie lost on Derby Day? He'd lost £10, which is £1,400 today. And question number eight, what law was due to cripples was due to cripple Freddie's business? It was the 1872 licensing law. So there we go, folks. That's that. Ooh, that's me done. Hope you enjoyed that, folks. Uh, next week uh where are we now 7th of november i am you're i think you're probably in december by by then i think or, or probably end of november so uh we'll have the um uh, a three-parter to end the series with and then there might be some christmas things i haven't quite decided yet but there we go so have yourself a good week folks stay safe and be good and thank you for supporting the show and uh i hope hope uh hope you have a good week best wishes lots of love Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.